Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of January 2011. I always kick off this show by suggesting to newcomers to look into the archives at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and help yourself to the free audios you'll find. There's hundreds to choose from and I cover a, I cover a variety of topics, a lot of topics, but really I try and tie in uh, the big picture for you, give you the shortcuts to it because we're living under incredible psychological and indoctrinational control and uh, sciences are, the big sciences have been involved in this for whole lives and your parents too before them and theirs before them for that matter because these sciences are not new at all and uh, they've been instigated on a massive scale across the world to bring in what's called commonly uh, the New World Order, the Globalist Society, all of that kind of stuff to bring out the, the perfect society for this global agenda. A lot of heads will be cracked in the process, of course, and they know this too. And even H.G. Wells talked about it in the early 1900s, uh, when they, actually when they first set up the League of Nations and, the, and in the end of World War One, He talked about lots of people fighting this, this New World Order, he says, uh, but it won't do any good anyway because it would be too overpowering for them. And uh, we're living through a script, and I try to show you how the script is run and uh, help yourself, as I say, to those audios. Remember, all those sites you see listed on the comm site have, uh, these are the official sites, have the same audios. They all have uh, a lot of transcripts in English for download, and you can find transcripts in other languages. If you go into alanwattsentinel.eu, you'll see that listed on the, on the, the comm site as well and you'll find a variety to choose from. So help yourselves. And remember, too, that you bring me to you. You're the audience. I don't bring on the advertisers, as you know, and uh, I don't sell you anything. And the only thing I sell are the, are the books I've got, and I don't even have time to write more. I wish I could. But uh, you can help me out by buying the books and the discs, etc., at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check still. You can still use an international postal money order as well from your post office. You can use PayPal to order and just use the donation button and follow it with an email uh, with a name, address and order and I'll get it out to you. You'll see the, the PayPal on the site, the com site. Uh, same across the rest of the world. You've got Western Union for wire transfer if you're if you want to afford that. It's a bit kind of steep. Uh, you can also use um, MoneyGram, which is cheaper. And MoneyGram also gives you uh, the choice of getting a check on your site, which you can post across. That's a lot cheaper still. And again, PayPal to order uh, and use a donation button on the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, following by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. But as I say, we're living through a script, an incredible script, and just looking through the media today, the news and what's thrown out for us. And it is thrown out. I had a picture in my mind of someone on a farm just throwing out the seed for the, the chickens to pick up. That's really what the media is about, really. Uh, when nothing, when big things are happening, they give you lots and lots of trivia. 
and lots of little, little things which you're supposed to get riled about and argue about, but you forget the next day as they hand you more chicken feed. And I tend not to fall for that. I try to see what really is going on behind uh, the silencery of the trivia uh, media, because the media's job is not to help you or inform you. If they, if they were there to do that, they'd be telling you about all the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of organizations that run your lives that the media never touches upon. They, they, they run your banking, they run every facet of your life, and you don't even know it. And they're all run by the richest people on the planet. And they have uh, all kinds of scientists on board and so on to form the perfect society and to shape our minds as we're going through the changes so that we behave correctly. Back with more after this break. Folks, we're back, and this is cutting through the matrix. Most folks, I say, are, are giving you the standard indoctrination in school to do with the world, and it's it's shaped basically to shape your mind and, and to make sure that you believe correctly what you're being told. And the initial indoctrination is very important because it will be backed up and reinforced down for your life by the media that takes over, and even movies too that will slant a particular country or area of the globe in a particular fashion. So you're being prepared from childhood for this. And um, it's so interesting to see that they don't want you to understand the whys of things. Because you understand, most folks who listen to the show, I'm sure, really have got to the stage where they are questioning the whys of things. It's never mentioned. Like, well, why are we global? You know, says who? And who worked towards globalism? Uh, who voted for globalism? Did you, any, any of you get a chance to vote for globalism? Uh, of course not. And again, uh, why are these big foundations uh, working on the sides with trillions of dollars uh, throwing money all over the planet to NGOs? How come uh, they also have seats and, and government boards and so on to direct policies, etc.? You see, when did all this happen? And who gave them permission to do it? Because they never asked the, the citizens of any country to do this. They just did it anyway. And you, you start to realize you've never really had a country of your own. You never, and that's the truth of it, in fact. You never did. And um, the, the, in fact, I'd say that the last bit of freedom there was was probably after the American War for Independence for maybe 50 years or so or 60 years, that's a bit of freedom where you go off into the bush and get lost if you wanted to and there was nobody chasing you for taxis or anything else Or that was a little bit of freedom that you had because shortly in came the usual boys and the lawyers and, and then the associations and then rules and laws and taxations and, and everything else came out of it they forget so quickly too in the US that the first uh, fracas they had after the Revolutionary War was the, the war against those who were making booze, basically. And uh, because they didn't, they were rather astounded to find out they just fought a war for independence and taxes and so on, to find out that the first tax they're going to levy was on these guys themselves making the booze. But anyway, that's the way it goes. We live in a monetary system uh, who that was invented thousands and thousands of years ago by people uh, that... Um, 
from other countries, in other words, other parts of the world. And, of course, the Middle East was heavily involved, even from the times of Phoenicians. And before them, there was other groups and so on doing the same thing. The traders that were also what would later be called, uh, they were called merchant bankers later on when they became rather official, got official status. And they ran, uh, they created the city of London, as it's called, the city itself, and moved their banking projects in there. They ran all the shipping lanes, all the ships, all the trade, and they also ran the government. And nothing has changed really, really over there in Britain, for instance. It's the same banks. And, of course, they brought in their Egyptian obelisks just to let everybody know who they were. But anyway, they have this MO with them, of course, MO, and they won't allow any other system to work, you see. Now, other parts of the world, because there's different cultures, have to be acted upon differently to bring them into this global system. And long ago, they decided to use communism uh, to, to bring other big parts of the world together under a kind of force. They have to be forced into it, you see. And so they have the revolutions, and they force people through a terror regime into compliance. And they claim that's the fastest way to get them up to speed with the rest of the world for the same system to blend together. But they still play jokes with us today, and it's so funny reading articles, as I see the chicken feed that's thrown out. There's an article here from the Washington Times that says, If China becomes the world's number one nation, and that was the headline in the official newspaper of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, we can all laugh at it, we're thinking, but because we can't understand communism making profits and holding the U.S. debt, too. And uh, uh, we can't imagine this being communist, but you still have to belong to the Communist Party if you want to get up into university and in business. That's what runs their country. It's not a democracy, as you think of it at all. And it was only a few years ago they suddenly changed overnight to see, well, profit is good, you know. And they added that on to Mao Zedong's little red book. So we're supposed to swallow all this stuff, believing it's just some strange things. Strange things happen and we don't understand. And we, if it's not explained to us by the media, we tend to forget them. But in reality, China was set up to be communist by the same people who already ruled, and I mean ruled, and owned, lock and stock and barrel, the countries of the West. That's who set China up as a communist state to bring all this in. And you find in the writings uh, little hints of the people who were sent over to help introduce the ideas into the Chinese minds and universities like Bertrand Russell. He was sent over to introduce this idea. Lord Bertrand Russell, by the way. Uh, into the Chinese mentality. And just like all systems need heavy funding, and that comes from the, the usual clique of uh, international bankers. These bankers don't open up branch offices. They, you have to go to them as a country's leader to borrow from them. So just like they set up the Soviet Union and owned it, basically, they set up the Chinese system as well. But anyway, here's the headline again. It's, it's, so the, they say China aims to be number one. In the, in the Chinese Communist Party, this is the People's Daily, on the eve of the Chinese President uh, Hu Jintao's state visit to Washington, the article went on to boast how China's emergence is increasingly shifting to debate over how the world will treat China, which is the number one and has overtaken the U.S. This is a story like this does not appear by accident in the official Chinese Communist Party newspaper on the eve of a state visit to the world's current number one power, which is the United States. It was a signal, that the latest and bold, boldest signal yet, that China intends to become the world's number one power. President Obama took the occasion of his first visit to China to show humility 
I wish to show some at home and to assure his Shanghai audience that we do not seek to contain China's rise. Because that's the plan, you see. You know, in the, in the books of the Council on Foreign Relations, dash Royal Institute of International Affairs, uh, that's run by the big bankers that lend and set up revolutions and countries and wars and stuff, I've got books from the 1930s where they had world meetings, and they talked then about bringing China up to be the manufacturer for the planet. And that was before they had communism introduced into it. These guys, it's, it's a big business plan we're living through. No kidding. Anyway, the Chinese communists are taking the occasion of their first visit to the Obama White House not to show humility, as Mr. Obama did to them, but to openly show their clear intention to dominate the world from the Middle Kingdom. And also Arnold Toynbee, I should add, too, who was a professor for Rhodes Scholars who came to, to Oxford. Uh, he also talked about that, and he, he said eventually when America fades, and he said America would, fade, would, would last as the main nation for maybe 70 years, maybe less, and then China was deemed to take over. At that time he spoke uh, in the 30s that China literally was a real third world nation. So we're living through a script. Back to the article. It says here, uh, the Chinese are taking occasions for us to not to show the militaries of Amit, but, but to openly show their clear intentions to dominate the world from the Middle Kingdom. It sounds like Lord of the Rings, eh? The Middle Kingdom. As Constantine Menges wrote in China, The Gathering Threat, in traditional Chinese view, the world needs a hegemon or a dominant state to prevent disorder. It sounds very Kabbalistic, doesn't it? The yin and the yang and all that stuff, and, and evil and good and the balance, etc. The communist regime believes that China should be the hegemon. Traditionally, the Chinese communists have cloaked their hegemonic ambitions under the guidance of the late Deng Xiaoping to keep a cool head and maintain a low profile, never take the lead but aim to do something big. But in early 2010, cool heads and low profiles gave way, gave way to a senior People's Liberation Army officer, openly calling for China to abandon modesty about its global goals and sprint to become the world's number one, adding that China's big goal in the 21st century is to become world number one, the top power, it says here. So now we have the official State Department of the Chinese Communist Party openly discussing China as the world's top nation. And it says, when Mr. Obama, well, anyway, it says, when they arrived in China, Mr. Obama is a fiscal supplement, not the leader of the free world, as stated in the Times Online and bowed down to their communist premier. The Chinese communists took the president's gestures as a signs of weakness they were and quickly made radical departures from late patriarch Deng Xiaoping's famous diplomatic credo of adopting a low profile and never taking the lead uh, by unveiling China's new ambitious agenda. So now they're, they're taking the lead, supposedly, and we're supposed to just get this gradually through our heads. And there's no doubt about it. It says they go through the privatization of armies. They've got other countries to conquer, as you well know, in the Middle East. And um, they'll eventually have to bring in Chinese troops to police the world. And that is the agenda down the road. And good luck to them, because then let, let them pay the taxes for it then for a change. And um, I don't think it would make much difference to people across the Western world. They're too dumbed down and too well entertained to take much notice as to whether it's a Chinese boot or someone else's boot that comes through their door. So that's just the way it is, folks. We're being played like crazy, and it is an agenda, and it's a script. It's intergenerational. And every generation has been used to bring this world society 
into being, not so that it will be some nice, happy global family, but so that the same bigwigs who already conquered your countries a long time ago can run the whole planet and be the superclass, as they call themselves, uh, and as others have called them too, who will be as remote from you, as Russell said, you know, as a different species would be. That's how they see themselves already. They, technically, they are a different species in a sense. Uh, they can't imagine how you live. I've had some of them tell me that. They can't imagine how you, meaning the ordinary folk, live. They have no idea. It's like Bush, uh, when he was in office, who at least was honest enough, and it was on tape on YouTube somewhere, he, he said, I've never met a poor person. He's never mixed with any, you see. And he's never grown up with any. And he says, he says, I need to know what the poor are thinking. Find me somebody who knows poor people. I mean, these people are so out of touch with the headaches that you have. They can't relate to you at all. Not at all. I feel your pain, says Clinton. Yeah, you know where it is. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. But it's, it's such a farce, isn't it? Because here you are taught for years that communism was basically the uh, diametrically opposed to capitalism and profits and all that. And, and we're supposed to go through this floating period as the World Trade Organization and the World Bank and all the rest of them and all of your government signed on to it, pushed through the GATT Treaty, which allowed all of your companies, all of your factories to move to China. And, of course, the taxpayer would fund it all. That's all in the treaty. And and nobody questions it. Nobody questions it at all. A few people noticed, uh, Sir James Goldsmith noticed, other folks spoke out and said, this will take all the jobs away from and they were right, of course, against the poo-poos of the guys at the top. They were saying, oh, it'll be prosperous for America and Canada and so on. And, um, and what a joke that's been. It's prosperous for them, of course, if they consider themselves a different form of Canada or America than everyone else does, which they actually they do. But it's, it's such a joke. So, And I said years ago, the biggest joke will be when the communists um, basically are lending and own, and own all the debt of the West. And I'm, I've been proven right now, it's out here now, that China holds the debts of the U.S. They're buying the, the old game, the old ancient game going back through the Phoenicians and before uh, of holding the debts. You know, during the whole Japan era after World War II, when they built Japan up under the, I think it was Hopkins' plan, and uh, he was set to build a post-war Japan. That's why they knocked and destroyed all their old buildings. That was a renovation plan preparing, and by bombing, preparing for all the new ones and factories they'd put up there. They decided then that uh, Japan was going to be created to be the, the biggest producer in electronics and other things uh, before World War II was ended, and they set up the whole system to do it. So they flattened it, basically, all their big cities, and uh, then set in the boys to set up the system. And uh, that became uh, very prosperous for a while. For, for uh, the, the Japanese had some work to go to, and um, they'd certainly make things awfully well. But it's the same kind of idea with China. Uh, and, but anyway, Japan used to hold the debt for America. 
And so it go back and forth like a yo-yo when America was soaring, you know, Japan would supposedly have less debt. And when it was falling, Japan would buy the debt. And, and that's how they balanced this, this, this con game out. Now it's China doing the same thing. And the Chinese themselves are not an ideal people, a collective-minded people who are far easier to train than most other people. They've never really known in their culture this idea of individuality. And you can condition them into a new system very quickly and very well indeed. And it works well with them. So you have a whole people there who work together. They follow all the propaganda and swallow it too. And um, they don't rebel against their leaders. And in fact, they can't even speak out against their leaders. And uh, they're still communists, by the way, if you didn't know that, to say that they still are communist. And no one says anything about it. And the United Nations, of course, who, that was set up by the same big bankers using the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, they set up the United Nations. They've said, the United Nations, that China is the model state for the world to follow. See, it's a, perfect, a perfected socialist or fascist state, understand, where the peasants do what they're told. They can shove them into factories and they work obediently in awful conditions for peanuts and they're awfully obedient to the masters, you see? Terribly obedient. That's the perfected state. And, of course, they, they abort every second child, if you have a second child, unless you can afford the fees. Uh, that's the eugenics part of it. If you can afford the fees, it means you're wealthier, obviously. You can afford them. You can have a second and third child if you're upper, if you're middle class. So it's eugenics in action. It's a perfected society. Uh, as far as uh, Rockefeller and the big boys that uh, uh, love the system um, have said. So China is now moving in to buy U.S. branches of banks, it says here. And this is also from the Wall Street Journal. I'll put this link up for you as well so you can see it going. And then you have, uh, um, you have China to create the mega city. Every seed in this article, I'm sure, of mega city. And you have to read it again. It's, it's going to create a whole bunch of cities join them up uh, with 42 million people inside. This is the perfected Agenda 21 for those who don't know what that is. Or Millennium Goals is another term they use for it too, uh, for sustainability, where they cram everyone off the land into the cities. Again, a great workforce for their factories, very cheap labor. And um, and um, uh, they've got their, their nice slum area, of course. And... Uh, it's going to be astonishingly big, this one, of course. But they want eventually everyone in the world to live in these mega cities. And mega cities was first mentioned in the 90s by the United Nations that said we must create mega cities across the, the planet, get the folk off the land into, into those mega cities so that we can be sustainable, it says. Anyway, city planners in South China have laid out an ambitious plan to merge together the nine cities that lie around the Pearl River Delta. Uh, that turn the Pearl River Delta into one scheme will create 16,000 square miles of urban area that's 26 times larger geographically than Greater London or twice the size of Wales. The new mega city will cover a large part of China's manufacturing heartland. That's because they want the cheap labor all concentrated, you see, uh, stretching from Ganzhou to Shenzhen and including uh, Foshan, Dongguan, uh, Zohan, uh, I should say, or Zahu and all the rest of these Hus and Yes and Wangs, etc. Together they account for nearly a tenth of the Chinese economy. 
Over the next six years, around 150 major infrastructure projects will mesh the transport, energy, water and telecommunications networks of the nine cities together at a cost of some 2 trillion yuan. Uh, it's 190 billion pounds, it says. Can you imagine getting stuck in a concrete jungle that big? It'll be good for antidepressants, though, won't it? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about uh, some articles from China. I'll put these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. And it says in this article too that um, uh, they're going to basically move a lot more folk into the, the, these areas. It says, by the end of the decade, China plans to move ever greater numbers into its cities creating some city zones with 50 million to 100 million people and small city clusters of 10 million to 25 million. Uh, what they're doing is supposed to try them out of the urban areas. Well, that's Agenda 21, for those who don't know, and they want to do the same thing, of course, across Canada, the States, and elsewhere across Europe. And that's also being implemented now for those who, who live in La La Land. They actually are implementing it through higher taxation and so on to drive you off the land. They're also saying it's hard to keep up the infrastructure. If you happen to um, get fed your water supply, gas supply, whatever it is you use from them, uh, they'll find various means to get you off. Until, as the UN said itself, eventually only 3% will live on the land, and these will be very wealthy people. And we know who they'll be. They'll be the ones who rule you, you see. That's where it's all supposed to go. So you're living through a script. Now, say China never built itself up. Uh, it was a World Trade Organization uh, and uh, GATT treaty and uh, that, that set them up and the World Bank and the IMF and all of your own politicians. Well, I, they're not yours. You, you know that. I think you're wise enough to realize that none of your politicians are yours in any country. It's one big club, you see. And politics is a front, basically, for the guys who really rule the world. Remember, too, even the bankers had meetings in the early 1900s, and these bankers were the richest people. They were, they're not, as say, guys who have little uh, exchanges on the street corner there where you walk in and open a savings account. These are private bankers who lend to nations. And they had meetings to do with the world and democracy, and they said democracy can't work, and it would interfere with business and all the rest of it. And that theoretically, they, being the natural economists of the time, uh, should rule the world. They're in a far better position, they claimed, to do so. Well, that really did happen, and that's how it's always been since then, under this fake guise of democracy and freedoms and all the rest of it. You know, uh, I saw the little clip of the video at the G20 when they had the G20 in Toronto, and you'll see this little fella... Uh, being challenged by police that wanted to search him, because that's what they did in Toronto during that time. They searched you and searched your bags and your haversacks and so on. And uh, the, the cop actually tells him when he asks the question, I'm a citizen, blah, blah, blah. He says, well, there is no Canada. There ain't no Canada at the moment. He says, this isn't Canada, round the perimeter fence, you know. It's amazing. Do you understand the dangers of what we're hearing and seeing? I wonder how many people actually understand what we see and hear in this day and age. 
when you see these towering guys above uh, little fellows uh, bossing them around, pushing them around, dressed like combat troops, because they love the movies, these guys. And um, they know that the big masters give them authority to do whatever they want to do. And they all know that too now. But they're itching to just bash at the people. And they actually have the audacity to say that this part round here isn't Canada anymore. I mean, what, what, what was it then? You know, what was it if it wasn't Canada? Who's making these rules and decisions? What legalities are in use here? What's going on? You know? And does that mean you're a non-person or you're an alien in your own country? Because they've suddenly decided to put a perimeter on something and you happen to be walking by the outside of it? I'll put that link up tonight too. Just for those who really are not quite... And again, two people that put it down to isolated incidents. No, no, don't do that. You've got to understand the whole world in general. And this is happening all over the world right now as you're taught that you're now under a new system. It's authoritarian. They're not pretending about democracy anymore. Unless it suits them. Oh, we're going to invade this country or that country to bring them democracy. Revolutionary democracy was what Bush says, forcing it upon them. And yet they never get it because we never had it either. Now, Egypt is interesting because suddenly uh, we find out there's uh, riots and Egypt has been fairly stable for about 30 years or so. And it says here that Egypt protests, thousands filled streets to protest Mubarak, who's the, the guy in charge. It says that thousands of anti-government protesters, some hurling rocks and climbing atop an armored police truck clashed with riot police Tuesday in the center of Cairo in a Tunisia-inspired demonstration to demand the end of Hosni Mubarak's nearly 30 years in power. And um, it doesn't tell you much more about that. It talks a bit about poverty and so on. But this is, this is obviously orchestrated. It reminds me of what they did um, in Iran, actually, with the, the big NGOs that were put over there, actually, and well-funded, and Brzezinski mentioned them. He mentioned that they had NGOs in there uh, whipping up trouble for demonstrations, hoping they could overthrow the country from within. Uh, and I read that from the articles at the time, I put it, uh, I put the links up too, where you hear Brzezinski talking about it and saying he had a hand in it. Well, uh, this smacks of the same thing. So it says that Judy's demonstration, the largest Egypt have seen for, for years, began peacefully with police showing unusual restraint in what appeared to be a calculated strategy by the government to avoid further selling of the image of a security apparatus widely seen as little more than corrupt thugs in uniforms. Well, where is it different? With discontent growing over economic woes and the toppling of Tunisia's presence still resonating in the region, Egypt's government, which normally responds with swift retribution to any dissent, needed to tread carefully. Now, there's obviously more to this than meets the eye. Uh, because it's been too quiet, so we're getting kind of bored with uh, Iraq, you know, and we're kind of bored with Afghanistan, and they're still, they're still slaughtering folk, and, and big businesses going over there and grabbing chunks of this and that natural resources, but, you know, this is going further. What's going on here? This is the next part that's to go, because, you see, there are plans for the entire region, from, from, from Egypt to the Euphrates, and if, some of them will know what it is, but uh, most folk won't. But there are plans for that whole region there. And it's so amazing, too, to watch the goings-on uh, as, as um, people are stirred up to protest and so on. Do you understand it takes an awful lot, and this is a truism, for people to actually rebel 
their backs generally are against the wall. So when this kind of thing happens, it's been orchestrated, funded, and there are professional agitators obviously being sent out there. Not that I'm standing up for the regime as it stands. Uh, but there's something else going on here. And I'll put another link too, because the country that's mainly concerned about it, of course, is, guess who? It's Israel, you see. Israel apparently is more concerned than any of the rest of them about what happens in Egypt. So there's more to this story than meets the eye, more to it than is going on, and someone's made big plans, and I've no doubt uh, I'll go a lot further, and um, we'll, we'll see what really is at the end of it, hopefully. Now, I like this article here uh, because it reminds me of what I talked about a year ago, or last year, when I talked about the, the, the video if you can get a hold of it, watch it. It keeps getting pulled off the net. And it was called Star Suckers, you know. And um, Star Suckers showed you the, how, how gullible the public are to do with celebrities and how they could even put up, uh, a few people could actually put up uh, a stall in a shopping mall and get the women to hand over their children to do pretense cutting off of chickens' heads supposedly as a kind of uh, promo to see if they get on a television. And everybody wants the children to be stars, you see. But the second part of it was incredibly good because it showed you how celebrities are used for everything and how the the gullible public, unfortunately it's true, follow the stars and they they put these front men in as heads of big charities who end up ripping everybody off, of course, And, and and charities are notorious for ripping off. They, they go along with the foundations. Their money isn't checked. I mean, the incredible billions that pour in isn't checked. No one asks where it's going or anything else. It goes into your pockets. But at least the star suckers, if you watch the second part of it, did go in to the Live AIDS concerts and so on, where the money went, or at least where the billions didn't go, put it that way. And this article here is on uh, fraud plagues and celebrities. Geneva says a $21.7 billion development fund backed by celebrities and hailed as an alternative to the bureaucracy of the United Nations sees as much as two-thirds of some grants eaten up by corruption. Well, it's more than two-thirds. The Associated Press has learned much of the money is accounted for with forged documents or improper bookkeeping, indicating it was pocketed investigators for the Global Fund to fight uh, AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria say. Donated prescription drugs wind up being sold on the black market. The fund's newly reinforced Inspector General's office, which uncovered the corruption, can't give an overall accounting because it's examined only a tiny fraction of the $10 billion that the fund has spent since its creation in 2002. But the levels of corruption in the grants they have audited so far are astonishing. This is just one fund, right? A full 67% of money spent on an anti-AIDS program in Mauritania was misspent. The investigators told the fund's boards of directors. So did 36% of the money spent on a program in Mali to fight tuberculosis and malaria and 30% of grants to Djibouti. It says in Zambia, where $3.5 million in spending was undocumented and one accountant pilfered $104,130, the fund decided the nation's health ministry simply couldn't manage the grants and put the United Nations in charge of them. Well, it's safe there, right? (laughs) The fund is trying to recover $7 million in unsupported and ineligible costs from the ministry. 
The fund is pulling or suspending grants from nations where corruption is found and demanding recipients return millions of dollars of misspent money. Good luck to them because it's all gone. The messenger is being shot to some extent. The fund spokesman, John Lydon, said we could contend that we would that we do not have any corruption problems that are significantly different in scale or nature to any other international financing institution. So three-quarters of corruption is pretty well close to every other uh, international financing institution, it says. To date, the United States, the European Union, and other major donors have pledged $21.7 billion to the fund, the dominant financier of effort to fight the three diseases. They, they don't plan to fight these diseases. The fund has been a darling of the power set that will hold the World Economic Forum in the Swiss mountains village of Davos this week, which they actually they had, I believe. And it's, it's interesting, the World Economic Forum, again, is the same bankers, you know, international boys. And it's, it's WEF, which backwards is few. It's for the few. You see, you can't get in. It's just for the few. So anyway, this goes on about um, all the incredible... Uh, corruption which goes on. And, but as I say, you've got to watch Star Suckers if you can get a hold of that. It's very, very well done. Since it was on the sidelines here of Davis that, uh, or Davos that rock star Bono launched a new global brand product, Red, which donates a large uh, share of profits to the global fund. Other prominent backers include former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, French First Lady Carla Bruni Sarkozy, and Microsoft founder Bill Gates, whose Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gives $150 million a year. You should see what Bill's has taken in on charity. It's incredible. These guys don't lose anything. Everything they give out is a massive investment, believe you me. That's the real world that we live in, though. That's the real world. Now, <laughs> it's just something else. It says here that... Uh, that's the biggest cities here. There we go. The chemical cosh is an interesting story. A cosh is something you hit someone over the head with, like a baton. And the, the chemical cosh is the drug industry, the legal drug industry, uh, probably run by the same guys that run and make an, uh, the illegal du- uh, drug industry. But it says here, um, teachers are blamed for the record number of children now being prescribed chemical cosh. The vast majority of the children on chemical cosh were given the potent drug on the instruction of their teacher. It says um, there are now some 650,000 8 to 13-year-olds on the drug or its equivalent. That's like Ritalin, etc. This marks an astonishing rise up from 92,797 and just 9,000 in 1990, according to the National Health Service figures. Yesterday emerged the vast majority of the children would be given the potent drug on the instruction of their teacher. You see, it's not, this is, they're all brainwashed, these teachers, you see, all these, and they're the new type too, the new type, they want obedience in the classroom, they want zombies actually, and uh, it's mainly guy, young guys who get put on these drugs, and young guys are awfully, awfully restless, I should know that, I went to school. And um, a lot of this stuff is terribly boring, and it was uh, it was also indoctrination too. There was no doubt about that. Lots of it was lies too, because I used to go to the adult library and check everything out myself. And uh, but anyway, uh, you get fidgety in school when you're like that. And uh, guys don't quieten down until years and years later. But that answer, of course, for a quiet classroom, according to the, to the, the feminist lobby, are, are docile boys who are all drugged on Ritalin. 
And that is part of this whole problem too, is the feminist lobby in the teaching industry because it's, it's, it's a matriarchal society now. So anyway, it says, the critics say staff are too quick to dish out the drugs if the pupils get restless in an effort to keep control of the classroom and experts warned of the damage inflicted on developing minds. Well, no kidding, it shrinks the brain, eh? The amphetamine-like Ritalin. It's amazing, too. I can remember. Well, if you're caught with amphetamine during the slammer, but it's okay for teachers to dish them out to children, eh? Do you understand something's vastly wrong in this world today? Do you really understand that it's not just mistakes? It's not just bumbling bureaucrats and so on. There's something vastly wrong and there's something else going on, obviously. Do you know that? Do you understand that? I hope you do. So, uh, this is the kind of thing, as I say, that's, that's um, going on. And uh, they want compliance, obedience, etc. The, what they want, really, is a society like China. That's what they really want. And that they'll use the drugs to do it. Now, interestingly, between ages, if you study philosophy, and is still taught today in philosophy classes in various universities, uh, that at the end of an age of an empire, say, um, certain things manifest as the system goes down the tubes. And one is the pervasion of perversion, I should say, in sexuality affairs. That comes to the surface. Um, that happened in ancient Rome. In fact, at one time, uh, the emperor of Rome had to make a law to try and force the elite and the nobility in the middle class to breed because they were stopping breeding and guys were going off with guys for their parties in the bathhouses and, and the women were going off with women and stuff like that. Uh, so that they, they wanted the offspring to keep the empire going. So there's, there's different traits, etc. Plus there's lots of new gods came in, what we call today the New Agey stuff. That also comes to the surface during times of something collapsing because everyone sensing, senses the changes. They, they, they sense uh, that, that their values are altering. They sense that something's dying in, in their system. And, and they look to all kinds of escapes to try and, and um, make them feel comfortable about a world to come or something like that. We have all of that happening now. and But you also have erratic behavior by those in authority. And I'll talk about that when I come back from this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix, just talking about how other parts of the structure go off on odd tangents too. And uh, we find lots of psychological experiments going off in schools. I've read some over the years. But there's one where teachers told primary school children, that's from 5 to 12, uh, that World War III had broken out and then led them to a cellar. And outside they set off fireworks and a siren to make it all very real to them. And of course they've all had nightmares and everything ever since. And this is, this is, these are supposedly adults doing this to children. You know, it, it's incredible what's going on. Uh, and, and uh, of course, there's no repercussions to this. They seem to have some kind of 
modern immunity, which they probably have because there'll be some psychologists involved from the big universities studying the effects, etc., to do with control, because everything's to do about controlling the minds of the general public, and uh, they'll have to start with children. Now, we'll go to Debbie from Texas on the phone if she's there. Hello, Debbie. Hello? Hey, uh, this is Maggie from Texas. Okay. How are you doing? Um, well, you cover so much it's hard to stick to any one thing. Um, you did. You mentioned Bill Gates, and I can remember the days when people used to criticize Bill Gates on the grounds that he never contributed to anything except his own children's schools in Seattle and or the Seattle area, and then that suddenly changed overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, I have the idea that he's a front for his father, who no doubt plans to live forever. And I have heard him speak. Several times, and he doesn't impress me as all that bright. Uh, what yeah. is your comment on that? I think you're dead on with that. He was a he didn't he didn't he was not he was no genius. This guy he was a front man for a system again uh, that definitely was pushed uh, through to bring out the Microsoft systems for the world. They wanted one system to dominate the whole world, and they made him the front man for it too. I have no doubt whatsoever about that. This is how they do things in reality when you study history. And um, as you say, he suddenly becomes a philanthropist. He's suddenly concerned. But his main concern where the money goes is into depopulation programs across the world. That's all part of this big global philanthropic club is depopulation, mainly of the third world to start with, but the one back home as well. And he has spoken out. He's, he, he's, he belongs to the club Rockefeller uh, Oprah Winfrey belongs to the, the Lucky Gene Club, they call themselves, being good eugenicists, of course. And they have talked about radical depopulation is necessary f- to save the world and so on. So what kind of philanthropist is this? He, he, he also said that inoculating children across the world will, will help reduce the population. What does he mean by that? You know. Yeah, um, I remember when he was... Uh when he was still uh, young and he was talking about getting married, there was a, a very big uh, publicity, uh, big deal about how he was uh, looking for a woman with exactly the right genes and so on. And uh, yes. he found Melinda. Uh, uh, I noticed that Melinda used to go to the Bilderberg meetings instead of him, and I wondered if that was because he was so socially inept that she would do a better job. But that's the well, she actually might have a particular genes that are more appropriate for the Bilderberger. Uh, these, guys, these people really are eugenicists, and they do keep records of their family histories going way back, and they really believe in it. So Darwin, Charles Darwin was the same. Um, they, they intermarried just with the one family for generations, and uh, they, they call them dollies, the, the women with the right genes. They call them dollies. They are the carrier of the right genes. So you're quite right. Uh, they're all eugenicists, and they want to depopulate all the inferior types on the planet by giving them injections to depopulate the world. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs> 